This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are Matt Grayson and Rob Riley. Rob is starring in the production of QED, which is by Peter Parnell, currently playing at the Flatiron Arts Building, being produced by Theater for Humanity and Collaboration. Matt uh, designed the sound and the graphics and was also the producer of an earlier incarnation of this production that was produced at Northwestern University through the Utopia series. He also is a professor of engineering at Northwestern. And I've invited them to talk about uh, a fascinating and really wonderful characterization of Richard Feynman, the physicist. Um, and uh, it's a play, obviously, about science. And I'm interested in talking about how you put science on stage and uh, I think a, a trend towards an interest in science in theater. So maybe we can start, Rob, if you could just um, characterize the play briefly so listeners have a sense of it. Well, it's a, a day in the life, really, of Richard Feynman, and it's towards the end of his life after he had won the Nobel Prize and become famous as the man who figured out what caused the Space Shuttle Challenger to blow up. He was mm. on the Presidential Commission and is very famous for doing a simple demonstration of dropping a rubber O-ring in a glass of ice water in a drinking glass to demonstrate how the fact that they launched that mission in 29-degree weather that caused the rubber O-ring to shrink and ultimately caused the disaster. But he also worked on the, the atomic bomb. And I think he was in his early 20s at Los Alamos. And he's also coping on the day of the play uh, with his own mortality because he's uh, he's fighting cancer. So that's used as a vehicle for a whole window into his personality. And he's also writing a lecture that he's about to give at the Huntington Library, which is a lecture for lay people who are not physicists, mm. which is a device that allows us to get some physics into the play in a way that an audience of non-physicists right. can enjoy. Can understand, right. So, um, and he was a funny guy. He was, uh, he was a natural performer, musician, artist, so it makes for an entertaining evening. Right. So the, do you know, um, either of you much about how the playwright Peter Parnell, um, went about putting this together? Is it, do you know the source material? Is it particular lectures he gave? Is it autobiography, uh, autobiographies? Do, do you know? Uh, one of, one of his, one of Richard Feynman's best friends at the end of his life was, um, was Ralph Layton. And Ralph would follow around Dick Feynman with a, with a tape recorder. So, and a lot of these tape recorded stories of, uh, these adventures that, uh, and, and misadventures that Dick Feynman would have during his life, they ended up being, uh, transcribed from these tape recordings and then published, uh, these sort of, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. There's, there's various different books that came out. Right. Um, so, so that's the thing that's exciting is that we really are, we really are getting a chance to meet Really meet Dick Feynman in his own words. Peter mm -hmm. Parnell has done a wonderful job of of, of creating that opportunity for right. a younger generation to meet Dick Feynman right. in person. Right. And for me, as an actor, it's kind of a unique challenge. I really feel like I'm in his skin, and I think the audience uh, really does have the feeling of being in the room with the guy. Or as a couple audience members said the other night, they said, 
we felt as if we were inside his brain, mm-hmm, right. which is a pretty wild place to be. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> well, how just to, to pick up on that for a minute, how much are you trying to do an impersonation? Well, I'm, try- I'm certainly trying to do that. Uh, as I say, it, it's a challenge, but it's, it's also made easier in a way because I don't have to... He grew up in Far Rockaway, New York, and and uh, was meticulous about maintaining his his Far Rockaway dialect throughout uh-huh. his life, which he would lay on more thickly if he were speaking with the uh, highfalutin physicists who used very proper diction. Right, <laughs> he, right, he right. Was, he was described by other physicists. What is this guy? He talks like a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the reasons that his genius flowered in the way that, and I think the key reason, was that he didn't let himself get boxed in as as a typical scientist. You know, it's very typical for physicists to accomplish great things when they're younger, and later in their careers they don't do much. Right. Science in general. Yeah, science in general. And this was much less true of Feynman. He was making discoveries right up to the end, and I'm convinced that part of the reason for that was that he he didn't just hang around with other physicists. He he was interested in art and music. At one point, he got he got very interested in in biology and was working in the biology labs at Caltech. Mm-hmm. So he kept his mind young and alive and open. It's it's the message that he gives to the young uh, the, the 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 character of Miriam, who is at the very end asks, if I want to be assigned to us, what do I need to do? And what is what is what is the advice? Well I, I, I tell her uh, and I'll slip try to slip into Feynman here. Uh, uh, start by asking the simple questions, the ones that sound simple. What keeps the clouds up? Why can't I see stars in the daytime? Look at all the innumerable little things around you. And remember that everything is interesting if you look at it deeply enough. And then you'll do fine. You know, he, he, Feynman talks about in the play and in the lecture that he's writing, which is all taken from his real words, that all of science is about trying to figure out what we don't understand about nature. He right. started when he was a little kid, just curious about nature. And, uh, and then he ended up winning the Nobel Prize for his work on quantum electrodynamics. QED, mm-hmm. ergo the name of the play. But uh, but he never stopped searching and looking. He and and, and it's when I first came on board with this was when it was the Utopia production mm. at Northwestern. And uh, it was quite apparent that this is a perfect play for Utopia to do because I'll let you talk Pass about Utopia, but the mission is to do plays that relate to the science. Right. And and just to provide even a little backstory for that, Matt, you are a scientist, right? Yes. I'm a professor of electrical engineering and computer science at Northwestern University. And also a theater guy. And also a theater guy. And so did you did you start this series, the Utopia series? Yes. This was um like it's it's it was kind of a, a sort of a, a Shazam um moment where I just wanted to do, I finally had all the chips in place to try to do something that I always thought would be neat. And in retrospect, I feel like there's a lot, it had a lot more momentum behind it than I ever realized. Mm. Um, so what I wanted to do was 
because I enjoy theater and I enjoy getting involved with it, I wanted to see if we could produce scientifically themed plays at the Northwestern University campus on an annual basis to um, to to get the public engaged in science. Mm-hmm. And what better way, especially nowadays when it is important, there's a lot of people who don't value, they don't understand what science is. They have to understand what it is before they can decide whether they value it or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And it helps if they understand the the people because people can relate to humanity and care. The only good play you're ever going to find is a, is, a, is a play where you get into the character, where you can relate to the, the relationships yeah. and the people and the humanity of it. What what better way to try to communicate than to use professional communicators, mm-hmm. which is to say actors? Mm-hmm. And what better place to find the best actors in the world than Chicago? I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. So that's what the Utopia Project is about. And the dean of engineering, uh, Julio Otino, has been very supportive of this. He himself uh, is an artist, and he really understands mm-hmm. that engineering is is a designer's discipline. Mm-hmm. Engineering is yes, you have to know your 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 science and your math and all the, the the rigorous formulas and everything, but you have to have an aesthetic and you have to combine it and design it to solve a particular problem. And in between, that's where humanity lives. And so he's trying to. Um, he calls it whole brain engineering to try to bring the left brain and right brain together mm-hmm. to, um, and that's why I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world to have landed at Northwestern University engineering faculty position because I feel like I'm, I don't think this is, I don't think you get this just everywhere. That much. So support, it's very, yeah. it's been a very exciting five years. And what I think is really exciting for Utopia is exactly what's happening now. We, we, we workshopped the play. We, we ran the, we had the full production mm-hmm. of QED two years ago, and it's now been picked up by a production troupe who wants to, you know, make it give bigger. Give it another life. Give right. it another life. <clears throat> and so not only are we conveying science outreach to the community here at Northwestern, but then we create something that goes on and has a life of its own. Right. And just interact more and more and more and more people interact with it and so that's why it's just so it's such a great development to have the theater for humanity production um now bringing this to a second life qed it's fortuitous also that uh maureen payne hunter the director got involved directed qed she's a great director she also has a great interest in science her husband is a scientist they the 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 artists bring a different energy the director and the actors they all bring a different energy that really Mm -hmm. complements the the energy that the the researchers and scientists bring it's really fun yeah. to see that everyone actually really does love getting together and they really do like that there doesn't have to be the split in the brain between two different halves it really is all one uh one 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 passion and one one effort and and i think what you're referring to matt and what is so clear in this play is the that creativity is creativity and left mm-hmm. brain creativity or right brain creativity if you can even split it up that way because clearly for someone like Feynman it's it's not one or the Absolutely. other um uh that this idea we have mistaken idea we have of the button down scientist who's um rigid and um kind of doing things step by step and very methodical leaves out the greatest scientific discoveries have been these leaps of mm-hmm. intuition or very much like an artistic process well a couple of things you've said i think are worth um, following up, um, Matt, when you talked about, um, it was it the, the chair of your department who, who talks about the aesthetics of yeah, the, the dean of uh, engineering. The dean, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that strikes me is that the best plays about science 
use the, I'll say the, the poetry of science as part of the poetry of the play. Um, you, I mean, there is, and, and it comes through, I think, in QED, this kind of wonder at the beauty and the amazingness of the natural world, um, both, you know, as we know it, and then this tiny little world and the huge world, the vastness, these things that scientists spend time confronting, most of us don't. And I think that that can be very effective in the theater because the theater often is um, reverberates when there is uh, uh, some kind of poetry at play. And to me, that can happen, even though in some ways maybe the, the cliché might be poetry and science are antithetical. And I'm using poetry very broadly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just settled through a lot of stuff out there, but um, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> do you recognize anything that I was just trying to get at? I think so, and uh, I think I, I think a lot of the uh, language is Feynman's, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and he had the soul of an artist and a poet as well as that of a scientist. I mean, he's very determinedly uh, everyman, right? That you talked yes, about that—the way so. he kept his accent—and he's he's a kind of a contrarian. He absolutely is not going to be caught up in the politics of anything. So the poetry to me is it may be more the ideas than he, he he wouldn't use highfalutin language, but he's talking about highfalutin stuff in a very uh um understandable yes. way. There's a there's a great line where where uh, it, we're using once again a verbatim quote from Dick Feynman. He says, electrons and photons, particles of light, electrons and photons are both screwy but they're both screwy in the same way. Right. So, so it's a very profound concept yeah. that, that the, the, the very, uh, unintu unintuitive physics that describes these two completely different kinds of particles, particles that make up matter, which are hard, and particles which make up light, which, uh, seems sort of ethereal, that those two particles both behave in this really strange manner, mm -hmm. but it's the same strange manner. Right. And and Dick that Feynman connection is, is exciting. Yeah, he, he's able to throw, he, you know, by using the word screwy. Right. He he's he's not afraid to throw in layman's language to get his point across. To say, don't get lost in all the details. Right. It's it's about the it's it's the if you will, it's the poetry. It's the don't don't forget to lose the charm and the wonder mm -hmm. and the majesty, which can be described with words like screwy. Right. Right. And I, Emotional and I, words, yeah. And I also think, like, with respect to, to science and art in these in these plays, mm. I think that um, one thing that's really fun is to work with the actors to, for example, we had a consultant. Remember Shashank? Yes, I remember so we had, Shashank very well. <laughs> we had a graduate student physicist who uh, was working with working with Rob mm -hmm. to show him how to draw Feynman diagrams so uh -huh. that when he stands up at the board with his chalk, it comes out, it flows out naturally the way a physicist would, would scribble, really you know, would, would convert his thoughts to his, his, his arm uh -huh. scribbling on the chalkboard. Uh -huh. Um, and we, we also had, when we were doing Copenhagen, we, we were struck with an artistic challenge because we wanted to convey, um, we wanted to convey a cloud chamber of a, of a, of a particle zooming through a cloud chamber, leaving behind a trail, but we didn't want to, we didn't want to rely on some sort of, sort of, chalkboardy type of an explanation we wanted to the, the play was set in this sort of in the, in the home the kitchen of the the Bohr family so what we realized we could do is uh Niels Bohr could unscrew the cap of the salt shaker and then just p 
pour the salt in a track mm -hmm. in a curve across the table and then sort of explain how, how the particle leaves behind a track and how this, this creates a, a giant mystery that then, you know, at, at the time they didn't figure out how to resolve. If the particle, if the particle has uncertain position, then how can you, how can it make a path? Right. And the, the beautiful, we turn it into a character moment because here's, so, because then Niels Bohr's wife is, is tearing out her hair. Oh my God. That's Here's my, my salt. there's my, there's my <laughs> husband table. again. He's, there's my salt on the table. I just filled it. I got to <laughs> right. go to the grocery. So she, she runs over and gets the towel and starts right. wiping this all up while these two, while these two guys are, um, you know, while they're, you know, living having, they're lost and they're living right. in a cloud, lost in their discussion. Right. So it's fun to, because that's the, the human aspect, because that's the way it really works. I mean, these, these scientists, they're people who laugh and cry and, right. and, and, and fight with each other and, and fall in love and, uh, and, you know, they're just human. And it's right. fun to find the dynamic of humanity in these special moments and to sort of bring, make, keep it scientifically consistent and yet really show what it really, what, what, what would it, if you sat down for coffee with Werner Heisenberg, what would the conversation really be, be like, like? Right. Mm -hmm. And that contrast, I think, between the, the guy, the regular guy, which Feynman, as I say, kind of his persona, he maybe even exaggerates, and the rarefied intellectual world that he's inhabiting at the same time, I think, is part of the fun of it. Um, the other thing, obviously, besides we, we talked about the, the poetry of the science, there's also the personality, and you were getting at that, Matt. And there, there's no better scientist probably to put on the stage from that point of view than Feynman because he's so engaging. I mean, my experience of the play was what an amazing human being. That right. was more than anything. That's what I left thinking. Um, so what, what, Rob, for you are the challenges in, as an actor of playing someone, first of all, who's brilliant. I mean, I have to, I've always thought it's hard to play smarter than you are. <laughs> but in this case, kind of every actor who's going to yeah. play Feynman's going to have to do that. Um, but what, you know, for you personally, what have been the challenges of this role? Well, of course, Feynman itself, himself uh, eschewed the title of this word of genius. He said, oh, I'm not a genius. I'm just a curious fellow, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I believe he once said, I have a very limited intelligence. I've just used it and focused it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was very determinedly, didn't want to be the stereotype of a genius. Uh, but, uh, I mean, certainly one challenge for me and why the help of uh, Matt and Shashank and Dr. Lori Brown help us out uh, is a Professor of Physics Emeritus at Northwestern. Who, uh, who that, knew Feynman, right? He yes, he was yeah. one of Feynman's graduates. Mm -hmm. One of his, I think maybe his one of his last graduate students. Anyway, um, he. Uh, I don't have any. I never took physics in high school, and you know, really, I'm not. I don't have great aptitude for science or math. So that was a challenge, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to understand what I'm so saying. You're not well just enough. reciting by rote. You actually uh, have yeah, some I sense had to, of what I had you're to, talking about. I had to. To learn enough to, to and, of course, Feynman makes that easier too because he explains mm -hmm. things so well. Mm -hmm. He was uh, known for that. He loved. He wasn't famous for taking a big interest in students, but those he did take an interest in were were frequently, as I say in the play, uh, I like the ones who don't play by the rules. Right. I like right. the ones that are trying to get away with something. So that's the side of him that I can really relate to. And it's also an emotional story, which for any actor, I think, any play is a play about human emotions. It doesn't make any difference what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, 
to some extent, I treat the physics as metaphorical, which I think Parnell playwright did to yes. some extent too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm uh, dealing with questions of life and death. What about the direct address? Is that is that fun for you as an actor? Yeah, that's, the, the, that's the, totally the premise of it. Just to explain that is that. We're, we're not quite sure who we are, but we're, we seem to have just been led into Feynman's uh, study, and he's talking to us, right, <laughs> more or right. less. And sometimes we're he's practicing for his lecture. But it, the, the Well, I'd be curious to, to, uh, to ask you how that yeah. worked for you early in the play. I mean, did that take some adjustment? Honestly, no. I mean, it, it. I think we've kind of gotten used to the, the, the one-guy play that more or less has to use that because there's nobody else to interact with. I mean, it's you right. and the audience. We're the right. only people in the room. Um, so I, I didn't find that challenging, but I imagine for an actor, it's different. I mean, when you don't have a scene partner for most of the play, it's a different exercise, I yes, imagine. It, it is, it is different, but, uh, for me, not, not difficult. I mean, my mm -hmm. background is improvisation. I work at Second City. I always been perfectly comfortable, you know, interacting with the audience. Right. And I'm not asking the audience for suggestions during QED, but uh, if they throw them out, it wouldn't throw me. Right. Um, no, I love it. Uh, somebody pointed, an audience member pointed out a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think I mentioned this before, we really felt like we were inside Richard Feynman's brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, and one aspect of that is, I think, a brilliant concept that Maureen Payne-Hunter, the director, had, which is the way... The set design of the room, it's a very small, under 100 seats theater. It's in the round. The walls are black. And physics students and uh, physicists volunteered and came in. And the walls are completely covered with equations and Feynman diagrams, which is his invention of a way of expressing an equation right. graphically on these black walls. And uh, I think that really adds to that feeling that it's the it's something you're in his yeah, head uh -huh, you know? something and some of his drawings you know because he, mm -hmm. he was also a really good artist some of the drawings are on the walls too so it, even before the play starts before the lights go down mm -hmm. you're you're in you're in that right head. well and part of what the the difference for me as an audience member that creates is i'm not there's no um transaction between you and some other character there's no question whether you're, for instance, telling the truth because you want to get something from somebody else yeah. or something, right? We're just, we feel like we have this pretty direct access to your mental process because you're not, you're not trying to get anything from mm. us. But I, but I wonder if that's true. I wonder if you, at least as you go through the script, are, are finding places where he's kidding himself or he's kidding us for some reason or it, it, does any of that happen? Oh yes, I think so, and I think uh, I think the audience is another character, mm -hmm. um, and I've discovered to some extent because they're different. It's as I say, there's audience on all sides, but there are different sections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And any actor will tell you that any individual audience has a personality. Right. Some nights they think everything's funny, and other nights they don't think anything's funny. Uh, which doesn't mean they're not getting it; they're right. just taking it Something in a different, different way. Right. You know, of course, this isn't. Basically a comedy, although there's a lot of laughter in it. But even the different sections of the audience have different personalities. Mm. And since I absolutely do address even individual people in the audience, I can pick up on who is knows something about physics, <laughs> right? <laughs> and who is relating more emotionally to what's going on with 
with uh, with Feynman facing end of life issues because of his cancer. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's one scene that Peter Parnell writes into the play where Dick Feynman throws a ball at the audience. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's great. And so, right. like you know, he I mean, it's he's really engaging with the audience, not just talking to them, but even right. just you know, so handing them things, their, yeah. tossing them things. Right. Sure. And there, there was another, there was another great moment. Uh, Dick Feynman speaks Russian mm -hmm. uh, at the end of Act One. Right. Now that I did learn by rote. There was, <laughs> there was a woman. I don't know if you know this. There was a woman uh, on the opening night who was sitting in the back. I, I think it was one of the previews. As soon as you started speaking Russian. Her eyes opened wide, and she was like nudging the people next. Ah. He's speaking Russian, so she's, right. she's obviously, obviously a Russian, Russian speaker, speaker. Right. and so she that made her day. Right. <laughs> right. Well, do you find, given that you're getting a different reaction from different um, sides of the room, so to speak, that you that it affects which way you address parts of the play? No, I I, I make sure I address everybody. Of mm -hmm. course, Maureen direct, directed me right. that way. Right. Uh, it, it, I have to adjust it sometimes depending on how many people there are in, in mm -hmm. whatever section. But as I say, I'll, I'll, very early on, I'll figure out who I'm going to throw the ball to because right. I want it to be somebody who's awake and is going to catch the ball. <laughs> Although, you know, it's happened that the person didn't, didn't. you know, drop it or something. Right. And we just worked that into the, I just improvised something to deal with that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about what you said about other times when I'm, I do think that, like any other character, I'm trying to get something from the audience uh -huh. at different points in the play. I'm trying to get understanding or sympathy or a response. Um, so, uh, but that's, that's something that's, thank you for that because that's going to influence my performance tonight. Well, great. I'm think <laughs> and there's, I mean, there's, there's also sort of, I, I feel like as a sound designer, I have to say, I feel like there's a third character in the room besides, Rob Riley in the in the lead role, and besides uh, Grace Wagner as the role of Miriam Field, the other character in the room is that phone, yes, the right. answering machine right. that's constantly uh, that that is it's is a device that the playwright has chosen to a it adds a lot of hecticness to mm -hmm, right. the day. You you really get a sense that this is a really busy day, but you also get a sense that every day Days with like Feynman this. is yeah. a busy day. Yeah. Right. Um, he's got his answering machine. It's set to go off after one and a half rings, which means that he probably rarely has time to actually answer the phone. He mm -hmm. just wants to collect all the messages at the end of the day. You really get a sense of all the activity buzzing around his daily life. And, mm -hmm. and it's these, it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough sound design. There's all these, he, all these different people call him. So you have to get all these other, these, these actors and these voices to, um, to, to read these lines that come through the answering machine. And of course, the, 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 um, the, the stage manager who has to run the sound cues right. has to, you know, be sure if, if you don't get the right answering machine message on this cue, you know, then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it may, it may derail the play in a very interesting direction. Right. So you, it's, it's like really, it's really critical. Every, right, every, yeah. it's just as, as well as, just as well as every actor has to know their lines. Mm -hmm. The sound has to be cued, so it's it's a it's a critical element of this play. Right, right, right. And I have to remember there are times when I do answer the phone before the answering machine picks it up because I'm expecting an urgent call. Right, there's someone from, you want to talk from to. Yeah, the oncologist or the surgeon. Or, right, right. Uh, so then I've got to remember who I'm talking to, and of course. It's make believe. There's not really anybody on the other <laughs> end of the phone, right? Well, and I try to, and I also try. This was also Maureen's direction mm -hmm. to make sure that I have an idea of who this person is, right? 
It's very easy in the case of Dr. Hackett, the surgeon, because and and Ralph, because Matt actually does the voice of Ralph Layton uh-huh. at one point on the answering machine, and Dr. Lori Brown, the physicist who worked with with Feynman, is doing the voice of Dr. Hackett. And he he and he was a uh, he was Dick Feynman's first graduate student. When so Dick Feynman was very briefly yes, first I said first, last was yeah, first, first because it was at Cornell it was at Cornell because uh, Dick Feynman was at Cornell for a very brief time before then he got uh, he went over to, to Caltech and he spent his the remainder he, of his career he spent at Caltech one winter in Ithaca New York he said I'm out of here took a job in Pasadena <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah and uh, so it's 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 actually really great Lori Brown uh, is a really big fan of the show and he really. He really likes the way Dick Feynman is being portrayed in this mm-hmm. show. So to have his stamp of approval on this production was very reassuring and very satisfying. Now, I would say personally that the verisimilitude isn't that important to me. Um, I, I understand what you're saying as, you know, a producer and an artist involved in the production. If, if you told me that Feynman didn't look like that or didn't talk like that or this didn't even capture him. I'm not sure that would matter to me because I don't go to learn about Feynman. I go to learn to be, to be exposed to these ideas. Um, and the, the evening of ricocheting ideas is just very entertaining. Um, well, thank you both, uh, very much for taking the time to talk to me about it. Well, thank you. Thank you.